After three years of strict pandemic controls, China suddenly reversed its zero-COVID policy last December, as Omicron spread rapidly in the country. A top Chinese epidemiologist claimed that the current wave of the outbreak has gotten 80% of the population, which is 1.1 billion people sick. But the true impact of this wave is still a mystery, as the Chinese government continues to underreport COVID cases and deaths. Meanwhile, dozens of countries have maintained restrictions on travelers from China. What does China's reopening mean for the rest of the world and its foreign relations? How do we compare mainland China's pandemic management to Taiwan's? My name is Zoe Lung. I'm the Senior Director of Research at the George H.W. Bush Foundation for U.S.-China Relations. Welcome to the Bush China Foundation podcast. Today, we have our distinguished fellow Dongmei Cheng to guide me through these questions. Ms. Cheng is a health policy research analyst at the School of Public and International Affairs at Princeton University. Her research focuses on cross-national comparisons of health systems in the U.S., Europe, East Asia, health reforms in the U.S., China, and Taiwan, health technology, financing and payment reform, and other topics. She is co-founder of the Princeton Conference, an annual national conference to discuss issues affecting health policy in the U.S. She serves on the editorial board of Health Affairs, a leading health policy journal. Among her extensive international portfolio, she serves as an advisor to the China National Health Development Research Center, the official Chinese government think tank for health policy under its National Health Commission. She also serves as a special advisor to the Center for the Study of Major Policies of Tsinghua University in China, focusing on translating research into policy recommendations on key issues for the Chinese government. Recently, she has conducted research on Taiwan's pandemic response and put out a number of publications on this topic. Dongmei, Happy New Year. It's great to have you on our podcast, and thank you for joining us. Thank you, uh, Zoe. Happy New Year to you, too. I look forward to our conversation. So I want to start with what's happening in China and how we should think about the current COVID wave there. This past Sunday marked the beginning of the Chinese New Year when thousands of millions of people traveled back home to spend time with family. Because of almost three years of strict measures, most people in China were not exposed to COVID until the last few months. Considering China does not have a large immunity barrier against Omicron's spread, how did the virus impact China differently from other countries? Yes. Herd immunity, I think that's what you're referring to. The herd immunity, population immunity in China was low, if not near non-existence. As you mentioned, that for three years, the whole country was under strict COVID control. And people could not develop natural immunity from infection because they had little or no exposure to the virus. But with the lifting uh, of all COVID restrictions overnight, uh, in early December last year, the entire population was suddenly exposed to, to the virus. Now, seven weeks later, uh, say to middle of January, we learned that, you know, according to the Chinese health authorities, some 80% of the Chinese population, and that is 8 in 10 people in China, have been infected since restrictions were lifted. Many, including myself, worried about what would happen following such an uh, explosive wave of infection? 
how many new cases would there be and how many deaths will happen. But two things helped protect large numbers of Chinese. One is that the China's high immunization rate as of mid-year last year, 2022, 87% of Chinese had been fully vaccinated. Second thing that helped is that the predominant COVID strains and substrains all the Chinese who are suddenly exposed to are Omicron and the its subvariant XBB 1.5. Both have shown to not cause severe disease and hospitalization in the majority of vaccinated people. Reports out of China early January say that the peak of the infections passed in major cities by the end of December last year. And and some officials put a date on it, say, well, when was the peak? Happened on December 22nd last year. People are still worried about rural areas of China. The fear was that the huge COVID wave will be moving to China's rural areas. So many millions of Chinese who live in cities make their home uh, trip home in rural areas, and that would cause a COVID tsunami in rural China. Just about around the time that China gets ready and celebrate the new year. So that is roughly the situation right now. So last week, Chinese President Xi Jinping said he was particularly worried about the latest wave spreading to rural areas, as you mentioned, which lack quality facilities and drugs. Given your knowledge of China's health system, how vulnerable is rural China? That's a very good and very important question. I have seen reports on the challenges China's rural residents faced in the midst of this massive COVID surge. For example, it has been reported that uh, the demand for medical services and products far outstripped the supply of uh, these services and products, that some village clinics had to be closed for lack of medical supplies and even township centers. Some of them could not get uh, medicines. But I have also seen reports that give a different picture. For example, uh, an extensive article by the German media Voice of Germany described life in rural Henan province during and after the surge in a pretty positive way. Some of the things the article said were... uh, that a village doctor in Henan province said that he did not experience a shortage of medicines for his patients and that patients uh, have access to Chinese medicine. And he also said that the peak of the surge had happened around December 20th last year. Uh, The article also reported uh, another account of what the reporter observed in another village of 2,000 residents. This is what he found that the majority of villagers got COVID in December last year. Seven to eight people died. And those the reporter interviewed said that their families were all saved. And an 85-year-old said that when he got COVID, the village doctors sent him to the county hospital for treatment. And he stayed at the county hospital for two days and went home. But he said not everyone had a bed. 
And a 61-year-old woman with heart disease said that she was not so lucky. She did not get a bed when her doctor sent her to the county hospital. Right now, uh, and we're talking about the end of January, the hospital shows no signs of being busy, and there are few patients in ER overall. And um, eyewitness accounts all say that the surge had passed, that some 80% of people had, had COVID in China overall, rural and, uh, and village. And reports out of Taiwan say the same thing. What signs and indicators should we be looking out for in China? Will there be a second wave? Yes, that is expected. Because right now, with so many people having had COVID, that they have developed this natural immunity, that in addition to the vaccination, the shots that they have all got, they will protect them for up to three months or so. That is what my doctor tells me. And, uh, and so for, for now, we can expect a period of calm, but they do expect new waves in two to three months' time. I want to discuss the impact of China's COVID policy on its foreign relations. Over 30 countries have imposed travel restrictions against Chinese travelers, and China has responded with countermeasures in retaliation, such as suspending travel visas to certain countries. So how effective are these travel-focused measures in controlling the spread of COVID-19, and what are the implications for China's relationship with other countries? Why some countries impose new rules on incoming Chinese travelers is understandable. I want to first of all say that because we don't yet understand the full ramifications of the sudden explosive rise in COVID cases in China. And people and governments generally fear the unknown. Now, how effective are these new travel rules for keeping COVID out? I'm not sure that they are effective. Because we know that the current predominant COVID strains and substrains circulating in much of the world, the Omicron and the BXX 1.5, are so highly transmissible that they're impossible to contain. Now, as to uh, China's retaliation of Japan and South Korea by stopping issuing short-term visas to their nationals, there's a lot of um, tourism and trade between China and Japan and China and South Korea. Retaliation could hurt business opportunities. So I'm not sure, you know, how badly or how much. But I understand why the Chinese are unhappy about the new rules, uh, travel rules by Japan and South Korea on Chinese travelers. China has, as of January 8th this year, eliminated the old mandatory entry protocols of PCR testing and quarantine. And so they feel that Chinese are being singled out and the travel restrictions by Japan and South Korea are discriminatory against their people. Overall, I would be surprised if new travel rules imposed on Chinese travelers and China's retaliation does much real harm to China's relationship with other countries. And I think that any harm to relationships should be uh, short-lived. You have touched on this already. The World Health Organization has flagged data transparency as a main concern about China's COVID wave. 
and experts have suggested that the lack of full access to data would hinder our ability to prepare for future pandemics. Do you agree, and why? Yes, yes, that is a problem. The WHO has been very unhappy. But two weeks after China lifted its COVID restrictions, China did not comply with WHO's request to report data on the number of COVID patients hospitalized in China. Some public health experts suspect that China must be hiding the true COVID situation in China. But but we should know this: withholding information from WHO is something many countries often do. And China would not be the only one doing that. Some WHO officials believe that no reporting from China does not mean that China is hiding things. Rather, it could be because the government could not keep up with how fast COVID was spreading in the days immediately following lifting of COVID restrictions. I should mention that China's health ministry also stopped. As of last December 25, its daily COVID reporting to the country, ending a practice the ministry has done for three years. Remember that late last December was a time just before the peak of China's COVID tsunami arrived. It could be that the government was simply overwhelmed by all that was going on at that time. Now, I think. Whatever the real reasons were for China's not providing data transparency and sharing data, we do know one thing for sure, and that is we need to understand the real COVID situation inside China in order to continue the global efforts. More than 6.7 million people around the world have died from COVID. We also know that the world needs data transparency from China to help it prepare for the next and next and next global pandemic. Zhong Mei, you've done substantial research on Taiwan's COVID response over the past years. How would you compare the information and misinformation of COVID-related issues in mainland China and Taiwan? I think information on COVID-related issues in China. Is quite limited to the outside world up to now. What we do know is that for three years, China had the strictest COVID restrictions put on the entire country. And what the Chinese government tell the outside world are unfortunately not taken seriously. For example, after China lifted the COVID restrictions last December, the Chinese government reported just five or fewer deaths per day. A number no one believed—not the WHO, not the U.S. CDC, not the many health experts working on the issue. It was widely reported that funeral homes in China have seen a much greater demand after COVID restrictions were lifted than before, and satellite images confirmed this. And I had mentioned earlier that you know the, there were lots of reports about hospitals being overwhelmed, and no beds, etc. Now Taiwan is the opposite of China when it comes to COVID data transparency and sharing. From the very beginning of the COVID pandemic、uh, in January 2020, Taiwan's government has held a daily COVID news briefing 
usually chaired by the health minister personally. What happened in Taiwan in the immediate past 24 hours? Information made public at the daily news briefing include uh, the number of confirmed new cases and deaths in the last 24 hours by date of diagnosis, age, gender, place of residence, pre-existing conditions, uh, vaccination history, travel history, etc. And all this information is freely available on the internet. In your recent book chapter, you highlighted Taiwan's success story in leveraging big data analytics and technology to mitigate the Omicron spread. What are some of the parallels and differences between the PRC and Taiwan's approaches to using big data for COVID control? So let me first talk about China. After the outbreak of COVID-19 in Wuhan, China, the Chinese government and research organizations have actively used big data technology to manage COVID-19, and that is to prevent, contain, and control the spread of COVID-19. I do know that China CDC is an impressive government institution with an impressive real-time reporting network linking the entire country. But according to a joint study by Chinese, Australian, and UK management scholars, China's big data technology has several problems, and these limitations raise concerns of data accuracy and the analyses based on flawed data. One, low efficiency of data collection. Two, difficulty in guaranteeing data quality. Three, low efficiency of data use. Four, lack of timely data sharing. Five, data privacy protection issues. So it seems reasonable to assume that the big data information highway in China has potholes that need fixing for them to be truly able to do efficient COVID management. Taiwan, on the other hand, boasts one of the most advanced communications and information technology infrastructure, which is a main reason for Taiwan's so far impressive management of its COVID crisis and COVID outcomes. I'll just mention briefly that in the three years since the COVID pandemic first emerged in January 2020, Taiwan has consistently ranked among the lowest among comparable OECD countries and economies in COVID cases and deaths and quality of life is, is great there. People, you know, continue to have a good time. Of course, they have their hiccups, but in general, life was, has been good there compared to many, many other countries. Taiwan is geographically close to the PRC, and he has a great deal of experience engaging uh, the pandemic situation in mainland China, most cited uh, example being the SARS outbreak in 2003. How has Taiwan been influenced by the PRC's latest COVID wave? Good question. Simple answer is not that much. Incoming passengers from China averaged about 800 a day as of the end of December, last December. And that was three and a half weeks after China lifted its COVID restrictions. The 800 passengers represented just 3.5% of the total incoming passengers from overseas. 
uh, into Taiwan. So the impact on Taiwan's COVID situation is extremely uh, limited and thoroughly controllable. Concrete measures to monitor the situation is quite simple and straightforward for Taiwan. Taiwan started PCR testing on all arriving passengers from China starting January 1 this year. <laughs> on that day, 25% of incoming passengers from China tested positive. But the positive rates began to decline in the days since. And so fast forward to mid-January. January 16, the total of the total of 2,408 passengers arriving in Taiwan from China that day, only 6.7% tested positive for COVID. It's a new low. So the downward trend continues. Most who tested positive had the subvariant BA5. There are no new variants were found. So this is all very good news. Thank you so much for your insights and thank you for joining our podcast. It was a pleasure. It's wonderful speaking with you. Listeners, remember to look for the Bush China Foundation podcast on our website, SoundCloud, and Spotify, where you can follow our conversations. Thank you for listening.